So I came across this really great article on foodtank.com. The article reads, new report finds consumers are increasingly prioritizing sustainability. Inside of the article, it says, the study finds that 40% of participants believe that sustainability is tied to more than environmental health, but also includes social and economic well-being. A majority of the respondents said that they are now more concerned about farm workers' safety and their ability to make a living than they were at the start of the pandemic. On today's episode, we explore rethinking food for thought. What, what's really going on when it comes to food? What's really happening? Uh, what's really going inside of our mouths, inside of our bodies? And to me, the best person to talk to on this topic is Chef Imani Jackson. We're going to learn about Chopped and Served, her really great catering company that is now transitioning and growing during the pandemic. We'll learn about her thoughts on sustainability. And we'll also find out some of her favorite dishes uh, that she loves to prepare. On today's episode, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of food. And we're going to rethink food for thought. My name is DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to Black Equity Podcast. All right, we are back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast, and I am definitely excited about this conversation. Um, Joining me today is Imani uh, Jackson. And she is the uh, owner and founder of Chopped and Served. Welcome to Black Equity Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I'm excited for this. You're very welcome. For those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Yeah, so uh, I'm a Black Jew. I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, St. Louis Parks, to be specific, surrounding neighborhood. And I own a catering company, Chopped and Served. It is the focus on community. So we are a big community caterer. We're chopping down community barriers in order to serve our people. Um, So just like that, we have pop-ups, we have focus groups at the Patrick Henry High School in North Minneapolis, which is a predominantly black high school. We have meal sponsorships every month where community members are able to donate specifically and sponsor family and create, you know, get a hot, fresh, sustainable meal served to them. No worries, just right there, dropped off at the door because they are appreciated. Um, just showing love and creating that intersectionality, like I said, in the community is a big basis of what Chopped and Serve does. But not only that, I mean, we're catering weddings, luncheons. During the pandemic, we had COVID style catering, which was popping. It was awesome to say the least. We've been booming. Um, we wedding rehearsals, uh, corporate dinners, private dinners, meal prep every week for specific clients. Um, kind of really all over. We're all over the place to create that fresh and sustainable outlet for people and create that accessibility to sustainable food at the accurate price point for all. And yet it's been exciting. And it's so awesome to see when people are like eating your food and they taste the difference and they see the difference and they feel the difference, not only that. So it's just like, Yes, it's, you know, it's, it's a movement. It's becoming something great. And it's to think like a catering company. What is, what are you talking about? 
yeah, baby, it's a catering company, chopped and served. Don't forget it. And you probably won't once you hear about it once. So it's exciting. And to be able to work with people in the community is just is the biggest, biggest uh, accomplishment I think uh, we have thus far in in it. So yeah, we great support system over here in Minneapolis. Very thankful for that. And thank you for the work that you uh, are doing. And so when did you get into the food industry? When did you decide that this is the path that you wanted to take? And why was it important for you to take this direction? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, growing up, yeah, I was a baby, single parent household, section eight, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't easy. So you always got to learn how to make something out of nothing. And, you know, within that, seeing my mom do it, being a resilient, strong woman, I'm just like, all right, well, I'm going to be, you know, this young, independent woman learning how to fry chicken, learning how to cook the foods I like in the fourth grade, no complaints, doing what I got to do. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it wasn't, it was a calling for me. It's not necessarily something I picked and chose. It was my calling to continue in my ancestors' wildest dreams, et cetera, essentially. And like within that, I'm, I got, I just graduated college. I'm the first one in my family to graduate college with communication rights and justice. So I'm just continuing. I was blessed with this and I was destined to be the one to break the curses and to build up our community brick by brick, step by step. You know what I mean? And bust down the walls to any system not built for us. So it's like, I'm coming in heavy and I'm coming in strong, but I'm coming in wise and I'm coming in, you know, with knowledge and I'm ready to articulate it and I'm ready for our people to know it. And for us no longer to have any, you know, opportunities hindering our ability to grow because we're ready to take over. And I think that's where Chopped and Serve comes in because we do it so confidently, but I'm <clears throat> able to do it through, you know, not just my business of catering, but I'm able to do it through my own platform, which has allowed me this opportunity to go, you know, on MTV or Target and to speak the truth and not have any more perpetuated stereotypes, you know what I mean? But to speak light into folks and love into folks. And that's what, cause that's what we do. That's what our ancestors taught us. You know what I'm saying? Love and kindness all the time and anything when we're, you know, cooking food, when, especially when we're cooking food, but when we're growing the food, you know what I mean? So there's always love and kindness. And it's that idea of like both ancestors on my end, like, you know, sit down with me at the table and you'll know who I am. And it's, it's not mm. that hard. So being able to create that mindset for the community and lead by example for our community with that is, is definitely an honor. I'm honored to be able to be in this position, but I'm, I'm even more excited to be able to help others get into a position that I'm in as well and to lead them to love who they are, their authentic self, and to never seek approval for that, but to trust in themselves and their intuition and to guide, you know, to just continue to guide themselves through that. So it's exciting. It's, it's a privilege and um, the, our biggest focus is the youth. That's who we're able to, you know, really see this change with because it's generational. So if, if I'm, you know, a child growing up and I see my mom being so resilient, like we don't need to be resilient anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like Ooh. somebody needs to break this. So how are we going to break this with the kids? So that's where we come in so strong. We come in heavy with the kids, focused with the kids, ready to show them a different path you know, a successful path, not anything else that's going to just lead them to who, whatever it is they want to be, but have that support and guidance for them along the way. So yeah, it's been, it's been exciting. It's fun. Um, like I said, I graduated, so it's been really quick transition going full-time from, you know, building it up for four or five years and now boom, mm -hmm. maybe full action. Let's get it. Like we ready to go. We ready to connect. We ready to help 
whoever we've got families reaching out so it's just it's exciting it's it's a movement and it's it's a good one it's something to be a part of for sure i love that you know earlier you mentioned about uh, uh sustainability and sustainable food for those who don't understand what those words mean they may have heard them in the news what exactly is that and how does that relate to your line of your your line of work yeah so fresh and sustainable food um, can be something, uh, I think the best example is, you know, you go into a grocery store and you have boxed potatoes, right? That right there is not sustainable and it's not fresh. However, if you go and get all the ingredients to make mashed potatoes, that would be fresh and sustainable. Some things you can't necessarily make and just cater it fresh and sustainable. So it's important to note that we can't always cater, you know, chicken and waffles because the idea of chicken and waffles isn't fresh and sustainable. We're not frying anything on our menu because that's not fresh. That's not sustainable. It will die down. You know, the quality of life will no longer be living or standing within its true self. And, even, you know, I know that sounds crazy because we're talking about a plate of food, but, you know, we I mean, we love food. Everybody loves mm -hmm. food. That's our common ground as human beings. And we eat with our eyes. And if that food looks, you know, tired and soggy and, you know, sad, we're not going to want to be excited to eat it. You know, we're right. going to eat it because we got to eat it. But so that right there is probably not a sustainable dish. However, you could take that chicken, not fry it and throw it into something else with a bunch of other ingredients, make it even, you know, whatever it is. And that could be a fresh and sustainable dish. So Ooh. there's just ways to look at kind of how systemic racism and environmental racism is at its finest on our in our present day and in our hoods you know the ghettos or whatever you want to call it the underserved communities it doesn't matter there's too much fried fish there's too much fried chicken and there's too many corner stores there's not enough grocery stores there's not enough fresh gardens and it's like why do the predominantly white communities have that but not the black folks or the brown folks you know what I'm saying? How can we get, our ancestors had a sustainable and fresh diet. What are we talking about? They were eating straight out the ground. Why are we eating out of corner stores then? You know what I mean? Like when I'm um, at our youth program, it's just so upsetting because the kids are like, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get, you know, food before they come work out. And what do they get? What is their option? A corner store. So what do they get? A bag of chips and they love donuts and they'll get a can of soda. And it's like, that's not fresh or sustainable. So how can we get them to eat like a protein ball or a protein bar or, you know, get them on a smoothie or something like that's not a crazy idea. You know what I mean? I think, mm -hmm. it, I think it makes sense actually. So how can we start doing that? And that's kind of where Chopped and Serve focuses is, you know, these kids need access to this fresh and sustainable food, these smoothie bowls. And just like anybody else that can pay a little bit more, the kids deserve that too. So well, we, we stumbled on a really great topic. You talk about environmental racism. And for many people, they're still trying to figure out what racism is, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're like, is racism a real thing? You know, as, as Black people, we know it's real. But other communities are like, well, we're not sure. So then when we're then talking about systematic racism, and then inside of that, we're talking about environmental racism, as you mentioned, how does that play... Uh, into this idea of food deserts. I know you kind of hinted at it before, but what are food deserts and how has that impacted your industry? 
Yeah, and like I live in Minnesota, so for mm-hmm. me, a food desert is essentially just like a place where you know you're getting lack of resources and lack of food. You're not getting what you're used to, and you're having to conform to some other form of food, which could be these boxed potatoes and etc. Like for me, I was just speaking to my food provider, and I was like, "Yo, like, what are we doing? I'm curious to know." Like, what's the food shortage situation? I know we're in Minnesota, so I know there's going to be hits, right? Like, if we're elsewhere and we're talking about food shortages, like I was just in Florida and I was speaking to the smoothie manager or whatever, and I was like, yeah, you know, just kind of chopping it up, talking about food and all that stuff. And she was saying the same thing. And I'm like, you're in Florida. You know, you got good produce. You got good access, you know, (laughs) much better than I got in Minnesota. So I'm thinking, dang, it's coming hard. And so for people who are already living in food deserts, like these corner stores, like these one grocery communities, it's like how they, you know, they are, they, it's vital they get access to this fresh and sustainable food. But if we're not depending on ourselves to grow it and we're depending to get it from just a cub or, a, you know, that's what we got Target or whatever, Lunds and Byerly's, you know, depending on your local grocery store then this can become a problem because we're not used to using our hands and doing the gardening like our grandmothers probably did is probably the last time we really saw that, you know, hope some mothers probably still do it, but my mother wasn't a gardener. My grandmother was a gardener and my ancestors were definitely, you know, getting food, planting food and all that stuff. So it's like, how do we go back into our culture and get food for ourselves? I have an apple tree in my backyard and it's so cool and it just inspires me because you know it's like I cook all this food still but it's like even I don't know how to necessarily grow you know my entire catering menu I wouldn't know how to grow all that food in my backyard but that's the goal that's the idea is to be able to do that is to be able to go in our backyard and to only have you know this catering menu based off of what we can grow because that is the most freshest and sustainable thing you can get so that's kind of where it is. Like what we can grow is what we should eat. And if we can't grow certain things, we probably shouldn't eat it. But if you look back, you know, different cultures, um, different countries in Africa, they use different mechanisms. They use different tools. They use different parts of the bamboo where the sunflower or the flower, the seeds in the flower, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, there's so many different creative, innovative ways. And it's like, where did we lose that? We're not in touch with that, you know? And that's where our identity is just screaming and crying for help is like, we need to tap back into that cultural sense of our food because food is the basis of everything. You know what I mean? Like African-American food, black food, you know, African food, soul food, that is American food. You know what I mean? You cannot have American food without acknowledging Africa, African-Americans, slavery, Native Americans, you cannot acknowledge the cuisine without even, you know, all these other cultures as well. But so it's just like, how do we tap back into the reality of that? Because if we look back to it, you know, what is history? You know, what were they doing? What were they getting during these times of history? You know, they were exporting food from Africa, et cetera. So it's like, all right, well then how can we find a way to just start growing this ourselves? You know, like now we're here, how do we tap back into this and get this for ourselves and stop depending on these corporations to get our food from our grocery stores? How do we get this food from our own community, our own people? You know what I mean? Um, And I think it's important that somebody starts leading by example with that because I know at the program we're at, Um, Patrick Henry, you know, we've got some kids who want to be farmers and it's like perfect, you know, like I'm tapped in with the black farmer in St. Louis and that's exciting and amazing, but 
how do you know there ain't no black farmers here in Minnesota? So let's get you know let's create some. We gonna be the generation to create some. Then what you talking about? So that that's kind of just that in a sense of a food desert. That's a super long example, but for just in a sense of how that's also environmental racism and a food desert. Um, I think it's important. So you believe that one of the solutions is to have some type of direct access to our own farming. Am I am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, say, say that again. Sorry, say that again. Uh, are you saying that having direct access of some sort to farming is part of the solution to solving some say, of the problems? I would say it would be a major solution to, okay. um, to a lot of these problems. However, it wouldn't be the only solution. You know what I mean? Like there is they would be vital to the development. I'll say it would be vital to the development of success of our black community and you know brown communities here in America. Um, I think because like, let me ask you this. Sure. How do you feel when you're hungry? What do you think? What do you do when you're hungry? Uh, you know, I was thinking about that the other day because I was looking at a group of uh, toddlers and how they behave when they're hungry and tired and they become erratic. And I said, well, you know, a lot of adults do that too. Mm -hmm. Whenever you don't have the proper nutrition, you may not go cry and suck your thumb in the corner, but you do behave outside of your character when you don't have the proper nutrition. And that would explain a lot of things that are happening in society. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, exactly. Boom, see? Yeah, exactly my point. So if we have kids who are going to school hungry, Mm -hmm. How do you think they're going to act? They're not able to act themselves. They're not able to focus. And when you don't have representation within those schools, you know what I mean? Then it gets tough to, there's a barrier of communication and understanding and a lack of awareness. And that's where you start getting these headbutts and like at Patrick Henry, you know, it's a predominantly black high school, but it's like, okay, what's, where's the representation? Why are we got white folks teaching a whole bunch of black kids? You know what I mean? Why isn't there people that look like these students where they can have a resemblance and reflect and, you know, have an idol, but it's, there's this barrier. And so being able to have that representation is crucial. And then within that, you can change a lot of things. And so I think that's why when we're talking about hunger, it's not just, or, you know, communities or kids who are acting out it's like ask them if they're hungry you know what I mean just ask them like straight up and it could be the craziest thing because we probably don't really think about it but it's like it is such a logical thing I remember being hungry so many times going to school you know what I mean but so many kids also show up and probably only think well I only have dirty socks or dirty underwear so what am I going to choose today you know or like maybe I won't wear socks or etc so it's like a lot of kids have a lot of adversity they're facing and hunger shouldn't be one of the things they're worried about if that makes sense hunger is allowing them to show up them best selves regardless of whatever else is happening it can give them comfort and confidence but if they're not getting nutrition if they're not getting food it's it, you know it just plays into the systemic racism and the environmental racism and the roles and no education what do you go what do you do with no education you probably you know there's levels to it so it's it prevents it how do hunger prevents like if we can create a world where there's less hunger prevention you know and less food cost and less food waste then like it would we would have this common ground we would be able to come together sit at a table together and chop it up all of us and learn about one another and create love 
Like food is that common ground. Food is that unity we have and need within a community. So um, I think it's important we understand how food plays a huge part in our life. And sometimes it's like underlooked or overlooked, however you want to perceive that. And it should be, you know, we should take it serious. You mentioned earlier about uh, systematic racism and also being from Minnesota. Uh, what recent events are happening in your state that actually touch on the systematic racism in your area? Uh, yeah, so as I'm sure a lot know, the murder of George Floyd invoked, you know, the world of worth of generational trauma and more. So it's, we're on high tension. And then, you know, I think a month and a half ago, what was it like April 17th or so, um, you know, the murder of uh, Dante Wright happened. Mm -hmm. And so we're on high tension here as well. Like it's, I mean, it's never going to end right until uh, we can create some sort of change within representation in all sorts of every part of life. So I think it's important that we know when we're talking about Minneapolis, it's not just Minneapolis that's facing this. It's all of America is facing injustices. The right. entire world is facing injustices. So how do we stop fighting for these injustices, but yet start preventing these injustices? Because if we can't prevent it, we're going to constantly be fighting. Mm. And so that's, that's, a, that's the way I perceive it. And that's kind of what I put into everything I do. And that's how my body and brain operates within things so yeah. let's talk about that some more what are some ways that we can prevent these types of situations occurring is there something that we can do on our end or is it something that law enforcement or those who are in perceived power must do on their end or, or yeah. is it somewhere in the middle yeah so I think it's I think it's on everybody's end you know I think it's doing the work deep down and like doing our own self-reflection individually and figuring out how we need to do work within, if we're law enforcement, obviously that's a whole nother conversation within itself. But as, as far as right now, you know, with food, you know, education is a very important part to this systemic racism. That's a very big level to it. So how can we kind of even hone in on that? You know, like there is so much funding going into police, but we have zero funding going into black and brown communities and their schools and kids aren't able to have the adequate resources to grow and learn and to be themselves and who they can grow and dream to be. So that's what it's like. What are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, let's put some resources into these kids. Let's invest in these kids. Invest. And we shouldn't even have to say that. So I think that's kind of what we can do is how can we do our own individual level of self-reflection? And even as a Black woman, I do it all the time. Like, how can I always be better so I can, you know, lead by example better and show our community better. And as a Jewish woman, same thing as, you know, a mother to hopefully be one day in the future, same thing. Like, I don't want to raise a black king or queen and have these worries and have my son's or daughter's name be another hashtag. You know what I mean? Like, we're not normalizing that. Like, that's so traumatic. That's so traumatizing for me. I'm 25 and like, I can't even... Like I think about Breonna Taylor every single time I go to bed. Like I cannot think about that. I'm not, it's not gonna be my son or daughter's name. Like, are they okay? Are they at school okay? Like, nah, you know what I mean? So we're ending that. We're not normalizing 
none of this crazy stuff that we have relived that history is literally repeated. We're not, it's not, no, it's just, it has to come to an end. So, um, and I strongly believe, like I said, from both ancestors, from being able to travel to Israel, from being able to, you know, be in the South, you know, go to plantations, go all over the world, Mexico, Belize, Vancouver, by myself, do these things as a Black woman, know how it feels to be a Black woman in all these different parts of the world. It's like, we're not, no, we're just gonna, we're gonna do better. We're gonna be better. And I think it happens with the kids and it show, and shows me that when I'm traveling. So we gotta just normalize that, like normalize investing in our people and yeah. You know, uh... Recently, I was having a conversation online on, on social media. Um, I can't remember what incident happened in society, but it came up this idea that Black people can't be Jewish. Okay, this is, I'm just telling you what was said. Okay. And I found it interesting that when we bumped into each other, you are a Black Jew. I also consider myself to be a Black Jew, but I'm not sure I have maybe the same ties and roots that you may have, right? Yeah. Um, mine is more of a historical uh, foundation of believing that I, I think a group of people came from this this uh, place on the, the map. Lights. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So mine is more of that. Yeah. But what, what is your background of being a Black Jew? And yeah. what do you say to those who say that, hey, that's not even possible to be Black and Jewish? Yeah. Um, so my background being a black Jew is my mom is white and Jewish and my dad's black. So it's pretty simple when people, I say that they're like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. So right. like, pretty much stops right there. Um, but people who say you can't be, I guess I've honestly never really came across that one. Um, mm -hmm. but I would just tell them like, yes, you can be, you know what I mean? Like, right. And I could have, you know, if I wanted to be something else, I could choose to be something else. But like, I am, you know, my inheritance, my blood in my lifeline, my, you know, grandma, grandpa, all of that good stuff is like, they're Jewish. It's, I, yeah. So it's, um, you know, like my great grandparents, uh, or sorry, like my great, great grandparents came from Poland, you know, they came here from Poland and they were Zimmerowskis. Now they're Zimmerman. Like it's, you know, they fled the Holocaust. Like there are, you know, like, I, I know I'm doing so like, I'm not worried about it. Like I should be like, I'm honored to be a black Jew. You know, I'm honored to be able to carry this lineage and to be able to repeat the history. So it never gets repeated again. Like I'm, ex and I'm doing that. And I hope that I'm, you know, doing it to my ancestors, you know, hopefully best ability and what they hope for me and everything. But I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot to it it's mm -hmm. if people say who's not complicated it is complicated so that's a whole nother conversation in itself as well but you know all I got to say is what I do is I teach myself I self-educate I ask questions I build connections I articulate my curiosity in a way that's not going to make others uncomfortable which is extremely important and I just you know uh, reiterate the fact that I just want to know and you know learn so I can do better so I can be better and teach others people to do the same so yeah it's 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 pretty cool I'm literally the most hated person in the world if you ask me and like I'm a woman on top of it so it's like boom super pressed <laughs> what was it like going into Israel and having that experience 
Yeah, um, I've been uh, twice now and it's been, I mean, it's been amazing. Like I, I feel so at place, so at home, so mm-hmm. comfortable. I love it. Like I can walk around the city just by myself. You know, I was volunteering. I was staying with a family in Rehovot, Israel. I was staying in Herzliya. I was staying in Tel Aviv. Um, I was went to Golan Heights. You know, we stayed in a Bedouin um, closer to the Jordan. It was just like right there. You could just like see it when you walk out the tent. It was super cool. Um, oh. But yeah, I mean, I, my perspective, you know, Jerusalem, it's, I love it. I personally think it's, I talk to my Israeli friend, like constantly, I still have connections. I still, those are very important people to my life. And, you know, they're very vital to my development. I was Gaza Strip, hanging out with Palestinian, hanging out with an Israeli, you know, they were literally chopping like life into us. They were it was the coolest experience ever. I'm not, it was, I think about it all the time. And that's where like my biggest focus is too. Like I sit down and I think about like, what would these two do? Like, you know, like the Roots organization, like what are these two doing now still? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just embody a similar mission. And it's just so cool to have these experiences and know this stuff and this knowledge just because I've been able to work my butt off to be able to travel. So I, yeah, I encourage everybody, especially since, you know, like my journey was different and I didn't go to school right away because, you know, I had to pay for that stuff stuff myself. So it wasn't, you know, cheap. It wasn't necessarily an option right away. Right. right. So uh, within those two years after graduating high school, I traveled. I took those opportunities to be able to go to Israel. You know, I, first thing I did, y'all, seriously, and this sounds crazy, but I worked at Caribou Coffee and I saved all my coins and my dollars or whatever, you know, the tips and just saved it, you know, for four or five months and consistently, you like, you don't put your little fingers in it. Don't touch it, you know, consistently save it for five months. And then I went and cashed out and I told my mom, I was like, watch, I'm about to have a couple hundred dollars from this. And uh, I had like 500 bucks, you know, just from these coins, just from saving it from working. Mm. And what I do, you know, booked a flight to Vancouver and got my passport. And that's like the first thing I did after I graduated high school. And within that, I still have my same passport and I just, you know, my hobby is putting stamps on it. So yeah, I, I love traveling. It teaches me so much. It helps just leverage everything I'm doing in life. It helps me understand. It helps me, you know, to be slow to anger and quick to kindness, which I think is very, very crucial. Um, and hopefully others can adapt to as well. And that's what I teach others to do is as far as the youth is, you know, be slow, you know, be slow to anger and be so quick to kindness because our differences is what truly makes us so beautiful and what could really build each other up. So learn, learn to love it. You know, if they like it, we should love it. Cause I, that's why I tell my friends, if you like it, I love it. What you talking about? Let's go. (laughs) So, um, creating, you know, like that contagious mindset and, um, personality. So yeah, I think it's, yeah. I love that. I love the positivity. Okay. I got a few, um, I guess, fun questions. They're fun for me. What would be, what are your top two or three favorite dishes uh, to put together? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I know this sounds kind of random, but it's like, I love, I'm a really picky eater. 
So okay. some of my favorite things to make are like my favorite things to eat, right? Even though I probably mm-hmm. shouldn't eat them as much anymore. Um, but like potato salad this weekend, we had a big catering event, dropped off some potato salad and it was a hit. They were like freaking out. And it's like good potato salad can really change some things. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, cause they're like, who made the potato salad? You right, know what right. I'm saying? Like, let's be serious now. Like you bought it from the if you bought it from the stove. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's exciting. But then another thing I love to make, um, we had another event this last weekend and we did shrimp and grits and we Ooh. did like a fruit platter, egg bites and French toast bake. Um, brunch is totally my love language. Um, obviously food is, but like brunch specifically, like- I do love brunch. I do love brunch. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's just like, yeah, it's it's like, woo, so good. So um that was super exciting. And I love to be able to like grill for folks. I know that sounds oh, weird. Yeah. Uh, my family's from, my black side is from Baltimore, New Orleans. So okay. my uncle's a chef and my grandparents who helped raise me the white side, um, you know, they always threw that like, you know, when, when I cook, I think about my grandmother, like, okay, if this food doesn't taste like grandma's cooking, you know, it's good, but it is, you know, right. it's good, but you know what I mean? Grandma's cooking. It is amazing. So right. always like thinking like grandma, how does, you know, grandma do this stuff. And then with my uncle, um, it's just so precise. It's the technique. It's the, you know, and the potato salad, like the sliver of the celery, you know, you don't want to do a too thick of a piece and um, that's a secret. So I hope y'all remember it, but yeah, just, just the little things um, and being able to have those experiences and those people around me and that support system and who continue to show me new stuff is such a privilege. I'm so grateful for it. I'm so excited for it. I'm able to, you know, learn more and it creates my passion just so much more vibrant and abundant and then i'm able to just like my nephew's <laughs> three and a half and he's like obsessed with food and i was like that's right and not only that he's like monty cooks monty has a catering company and i'm like you're three and a half in your state like you know what's you know exactly like we're talking about it we're seeing the differences we're seeing the narrative change within just my little three and a half year old nephew and how he wants to cook and how he wants to show up and how he is so inclusive of everybody and he wants to give and share. And I'm like, let's do it. You know, COVID don't do it right now, but you know what I mean? Like it's perfect. So um, just little things like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all good in the hood over here when you get some food going. I hear that. I know earlier you mentioned uh, MTV and these opportunities like Target. Yeah. How has it been seeing that you had this vision for your your company for your brand and other brands are seeing the value in what you saw uh, before anyone else saw it how is that uh, watching your dream become a reality yeah that's funny you say that because that was one of my instagram captions for like one of my first catering events I got (laughs) like back in 2017 so it's crazy to see how my dream is constantly evolving into my reality and um you know it's slowly but surely like it just you know I just stay focused on the mission and focused on the goals and what we're trying to do at hand in the focus groups we're trying to really change the narrative with and how we can do that and hone in on specific groups and you know, hopefully inspire others to hone in on specific groups that they're in touch with and they're tapped in with to, you know, help create this change. Um, It takes a village. So it's exciting when, you know, media is perpetuated in such a way and they allow you this opportunity to speak your truth. And when you're only speaking in your truth, you know, how can, you know, how can they mess that up? So everything I said, everything we're doing is 
what we think should be done, but that's just one thing of many things that needs to be done. So we encourage people to do all sorts of things because we, you know, we can't do it all and neither can another right. human being. So like, that's why we just love this. We can create this unity and this intersectionality with food and encourage others to do what it is they, you know, I are their best at or love to do and, you know, hone in on that, perfect that craft because we, we need that. We need everybody working. We need everybody tapped in. We need everybody creating, you know, you know, groups and having that unity. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's fun and hopefully we can, you know, cater as many events while, you know, these new board um, members and teams and uh, businesses and entrepreneurs grow. Tell me more about that. If someone's listening to this episode and they're thinking about bringing on your catering company, what yeah. is that process of potentially working with you and collaborating with you yeah. um, on, on events or whatever it may be? Yeah, so on the website, it's choppedandserved.com. Um, you go homepage. I encourage you to just take like five seconds to stay on that homepage um, and you'll probably get to dancing with me. And then within that, you'll see, you know, our story, our community page. You'll see the menu. Within the menu, there's a catering menu and then there's a wedding services page with it, it has a menu and our services and all that good stuff. And then we have contact us. And it's super simple, um, straight to the point. It's super easy to navigate the website and the contact us form, you know, phone number, uh, sorry, same thing, name, phone number, email, and a message. Um, and then you pick an option, whether it's like catering you want, community event, collaboration, um, or I think it's like private services or other. So um, yeah, there is, it's super, you know, and then it comes straight to my email and we're able to chop it up right away. I'm able to get all that info and then just set up, you know, kind of uh, similar to how you had, you know, like your, when you were chopping, when you sent me like, you know, here's a, uh, you kind of like had your own way of setting up a time and all that stuff. Yeah, right. similar like that, but it's just instead of like a service doing it, I'm the one contacting you directly after you and may you know because everyone every every client is different every service is different so create keeping the authenticity we don't want you know automated service contacting everybody we want it to right. be our authentic selves and um understanding and hearing and being aware of what everybody's got going on because it's you know 16th birthday parties graduation parties you know 80th birthday parties was a big one one year um so yeah just literally literally anything and everything meal prep clients uh so yeah it's all it's all fun and what about location? Can they be from anywhere to contact you or is there a specific area they need? To yes. Be? So that's funny you say that because I was just talking to some friends in uh, Chicago and I was like, how can we get some food, you know, to you? Because I was like, hello, fresh does it. That's my response. Right. So right. that is true. <laughs> that, they do do it. Yep. So right there, if HelloFresh does it, Chopped and Surf can do it. Let me just figure it out right now. But that has literally been um, something I'm trying to figure out. Like, how can we make this happen? Because I think it could be wonderful. And these meal kits we got right now and these picnic boxes that just sustain your health and wellness. It's, you know, there's it's much more than just like catered food. It's food you can get, you know, these boxes. Why not get like five meal kits a week? And then you come home and you just, you know, create your own little fresh and sustainable hot dish, or you can get it, you know, picked up yourself hot. So it's lots of very community friendly 
in the sense, um, and it, it's not just limited to Minneapolis. And like I said, it, it's gonna, it's gonna, we're gonna tap in. We're gonna tap in for sure. We're already in St. Louis tapping in, and we got my farmer David Bolin over there. So yeah, it's it's fun. It's exciting to be able to learn from other cultures and other communities specifically too, because it's very different. Like, you know, I, I was just in Florida and I was freaking out about the fire ants. And I was like, okay, don't walk in the grass. Don't walk in the grass, the fire ants. And then I come home, you know, do a workout on the hill and I'm whatever. All of a sudden my arm is like so itchy. And now I have like this crazy allergic reaction on my arm from a freaking ant. Wow. And I was like, I live here. I'm from here. Not once have I had like an <laughs> ant bite. And I was in Florida trying to, you know, right. aware of these ants. And now I'm here and I'm like, dang, yeah, like, it got me. It got you might have spoke so, that up. You might have spoke that up. I swear, yeah, like woo. Uh, but yeah, so we're trying to take that out of existence. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. But, but yeah, no. So yeah, that's just a that's just a little bit. You know, something else I, I wanted to ask you um, before we head out. I know you're having the conversation on Black equity, and I wanted to talk about that as well. Um, how important is it for you? Or how, how has it been as, as far as being able to work with um, Black clients? Are the majority of your clients Black or has it been a diverse group of uh, people that you're serving? Or how has that experience been? Yeah, so honestly, it's um, I even get put in situations where uh, the other month someone reached out for like a bachelorette party um mm -hmm. been a, those are ones that are really fun and sometimes they want like the chef on site or don't want the chef on site so just depending um but they reached out specifically because he said i noticed your dishes how to have a lot of backbone of colombian dishes like Ooh. can you create a menu for me um and i'm thinking what are you talking about you know what i mean like okay <laughs> all right then here we go apparently right. like I've got a lot of Colombian essence in my food. I didn't know that, but now I'm so intrigued. And so having that, you know what I mean? Having that intersectionality of like, yo, like, this is really cool. Now I'm able to learn and you're, you know, my client's teaching me something and they're giving and trust in me to create them an entire like bachelorette party, Colombian dish that they believe it could be just as authentic as, you know, finding somebody else. So I think that's, really cool in that sense um so it's literally like it's everywhere clientele is everywhere uh this weekend you know as client you know catered to all black people you know it was a wedding and then it was a graduation party um so it's just like black excellence everywhere we're not limiting to ourselves and that's where i'm saying like all right let's figure it out like what can we do here so we can we can all have this food and that's that's the beauty of it um you know private dinners uh you know, it doesn't, it just really depends on like, if you understand the concept of what it takes to like get catering, you know, it doesn't, it's not limited to anybody. It just depends on how, what you understand about the logistics and what goes behind catering and the prices and et cetera, um, and what good food is. So it is for everybody. It just depends on if, you know, everybody wants it, you know, not everybody really gets it, what catering is. So um, yeah, so yeah. Imani, you have such a very giving spirit. You have a great energy to you. Where do you see yourself going over the next five or 10 years? Where do you see yourself and your company going? Yeah, uh, thank you for asking me that. I need You're to welcome. I need to continue to um, hone in on my five-year plan because I just finished uh, 
my last one here with graduating college and having this mm. business. So, but as far as right now, you know, I see it as the narrative changing in a very effective way. And, you know, kids in high school right now, freshmen in high school and junior high students having hope and a privilege and chance and opportunity to do whether whatever it is they want to do and mm. authentically and, you know, vibrantly and abundantly. So, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm confident. Like I, it's not, I hope, what am I talking about? Let me, let me rephrase that. I know these students will do whatever it is they want to do. You know what I'm saying? Right. And reshifting mindsets in just little ways like that. Not like we can't do that. We don't have enough. No, like we are going to do that. Watch us, you know, like if I can make something out of nothing with a food, you know, meal and feed myself and whatever, then why can't we do that with everything else when it comes to our kids in our community and our folks and our hardworking uh, mothers and our hardworking fathers, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's important that we show appreciation to the folks who are holding it down for the community for real. And that's black and brown people. So yeah, I hope that they, they can feel some light and they can feel some hope and some, you know, relief in five years that they're, you know, they're, they're coming with, you know, they're building up. They, they ain't staying yeah. down. They ain't staying stagnant. You know, they're being totally committed to being the best versions of themselves and continuing to fight adversity and just, you know, know that it's going to be all right. Imani, it's been a, a pleasure to have this conversation with you and to learn about everything that you're working on. I definitely want to keep in touch. The, the doors are open for you to come back anytime yeah. uh, to continue the conversation. But I also want to connect one day so that I can try some of this food Oh yeah. Uh, maybe we can record it as well. Uh, I, I definitely want to be a supporter um, of everything that you're doing. So I want to stay in touch. I want to say thank you uh, for reaching out and having this conversation with us and look forward to uh, working with you in the future. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be able to chop it up with you the last hour and have this experience and just, you know, speak light into, you know, the audience here who, who you've been able to build up and you know, congratulations on everything you're doing. And I'm excited to see what you do in the next five years. I'm excited to be a part of it and a supporter of it. So, you know, thank you again for this time. I appreciate you. We're going to continue to talk. And sooner than later, you're going to get chopped and served, my dude. So, so get ready for that. Get ready for I look for forward it. to it. I look forward to it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sounds good. I want to thank Imani Jackson for stopping by Black Equity Podcast. The amount of value that she brought to this episode and different perspectives. If there is ever a catering event, this is the person that I want you to go reach out to. As you're building your executive uh, meetings and, and having these corporate events, Imani Jackson should be one of the people that you reach out to. If you want a personal um, introduction, just reach out to me. Let's make that happen. The biggest thing here is listen to what she's saying. Go back and play it again. This information is vital. As we start rethinking food, as we start rethinking food for thought, we have to think about sustainability. We have to think about what is the long-term impact here? What about the farmers? Who, who's serving me this food? Where is it coming from? How do I have access to my own farm? All these types of topics are being raised here for us to pick out 
and decide, well, do we need to have further conversations about these topics? I know you enjoyed this episode. I know you'll continue to listen to Black Equity Podcast. And I thank you for being a continued listener and supporter of the work that we are doing here at Black Equity Podcast. Until next time, my friends, uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Share on your social media platforms. Let everyone know uh, the value that you uh, received from this episode. And hey, if there's anything that we can do better, uh, make sure you leave a review um, and let us know. Send us a message. Let us know. Also, if you loved today's episode, leave a review. We just want to make sure that everybody is catching the value that we're finding on our day-to-day walk and our journey here at Black Equity Network. Until next time, my friends, I will see you on the next episode of Black Equity Podcast. And it's about to get really good. It's about to get really good.